All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi or San Antonio office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to Wise at davidsoncap.com. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just past, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 444 points, or 1.4%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 61.5 points, or 1.6%. And the NASDAQ last week was down 76.5 points, or six-tenths of 1%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 8.1%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 5.8%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 1.9%. Thank you, Jeff. Well, did you, miss, did you miss us from last weekend? I mean, we missed you on the Money Wise Show. Joe actually got to eat some. <laughs> yes, my belly was full. <laughs> and we're not talking about having lunch while we're doing the show. We're, we're, Joe got some airtime. Is that what you're telling me, Kyle? Yes, yes. Okay. Joe, Joe, Joe got some airtime. Well, I was actually, uh, I was actually just in your backyard at a at a at an event with my uh, daughter, but I did miss uh, participating in last week's show. What uh, you you want to know who's really missing participating in the show, and that's Dad. And we're going to have him on here. It's just we, we, we get we get requests all the, the, the time. The yeah. loose cannon clients right. all over the state that are we, like, "Where's the loose cannon?" We, we've <laughs> got to get we've got to get new studio Corpus Christi set up, and and Dad okay. will be back on the show. Okay, okay. Well, you know, getting getting to the market from last week, it's one of these classic Fridays where the market is made on that last day. I mean, minus the Nasdaq, which was still negative for the week by six tenths of one percent, but. It would have been down much worse if it didn't have the day that it had on Friday. But look at the Dow. Right now, if, if this was the end of the quarter, we would be looking at a Dow if this continued for the next three quarters of an annualized return in the Dow of just over 32%. Wow. You want to talk about role reversal? We've been talking about it going on the last four to five weeks on the MoneyWise program and really from the February 15th highs for – the S&P Dow, and for the NASDAQ, particularly the NASDAQ's high, it still has not reached that. As we started the, the market on Friday, the NASDAQ was still around 8% below its, 50, below, its, uh, below its all-time high from this pullback. But what's interesting about the Dow, though, guys, 
what's one of the stocks in the Dow that hasn't been participating at all this year in this Dow rally? Tesla. I mean, no, sorry. <laughs> no, in the Dow, That's son. That's S&P. Sorry. No. Apple. Apple, Apple has yet to participate. Yes. This year. Well, well yeah, even on double digits year well, to date. Even on Friday, I was pointing out with the uh, the big up upswing in the afternoon that uh, the four big horsemen: Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Google. and Google, Google. Two of the four were actually negative on the at the close. One of them was positive but underperformed for the day. I believe that was Apple, All um, and Microsoft. And Microsoft was the only one that outperformed. Are you correcting me, Kyle? Well, three of the four down? Is that well? I, well, well, I know you know Apple was finally able to get into the green right, right at the very That's right. end. Yeah. So the point, Amazon the point, under, uh, they all underperformed. Amazon underperformed. Right. Apple underperformed. Google was negative. I think, like you said, Microsoft, Microsoft was the only one that was in line yeah. with performance of, of Friday's gains. The, the fang so the, stocks got defanged. They've been really defanged most of the year. Mm. So the point is, even with Friday's you know, really nice rally that made the week, as you had said earlier, Kyle, the four big horsemen did not participate. And the question, you know, and I'll, we'll talk, I don't know if you all talked about last week, the, the portfolio change that we made uh, during last week's show when we got rid of the rest of our cues, uh, which is basically the, tracks the NASDAQ, but kept our those four stocks in our portfolio and we've been debating whether to, to reduce or eliminate some, some of those stocks uh, from the portfolio. And I think the, the tell is going to be the second quarter earnings for me because the first quarter earnings for, for instance, like Apple had blowout earnings and Apple has done nothing since the earnings. No one has seen, you know, from an investing point of view, it's really just fallen out of favor. Those that already own it, haven't bought any more of it. Those that don't own it don't seem to be interested in owning it. Even with a double-digit pullback from a 52-week high, I mean, if you don't own Apple in your portfolio for a long-term investment, I, 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 I mean, when you said blowout, Jeff, I mean, blowout is a, is, is a very understated adjective. They absolutely crushed their numbers last, you know, their, their past earnings season. So, well, but like I, you said – Earnings coming up is going to be a big tell, but you know I, I agree that Apple is definitely not catching bids from anybody, and anyone that doesn't own it in the portfolio has definitely not been buying it this quarter. Well, I think another thing that it indicates is the rally that we saw on the NASDAQ last year was so tremendous versus the other indexes that the other indexes needed to catch up, especially the Dow, mm -hmm. and that is happening right now. Now, how long do do the NASDAQ stocks, how long will they be out of favor? Uh, will they be out of favor just in the first quarter of this year? Will it spread into the second quarter? Is this, uh, we saw this correlation between rising interest rates and a lower price on, on, on the NASDAQ stocks. Some of that reversed a little bit this week because the, the you know, interest rates as measured by the 10-year Treasury yield actually came down. It wasn't much. It was like seven one-hundredths of a percent yield, and the NASDAQ was still down for the yeah. week. That's what I was going to say. The NASDAQ couldn't catch a buy. It didn't catch a buy when we saw rates come down this week. 
So it's you almost know, like that it, coupling was, well, was the, broken. The, well, the coupling was broken this past week between the NASDAQ and the 10-year Treasury yield. The other theory I, is, and I know we just got a few seconds here if I get the into the segment, um, are some investors lightening their investments in those particular stocks in anticipation of higher capital gains tax rates in 2022? Well, that, that remains to be seen. But let's discuss more of that. And Joe, we'll let you uh, eat a little snack when we come back for the second, for the second segment of this weekend's Money Wise program. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-275. Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, all emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the last probably four to five weeks on the MoneyWise program, talking about the rotation that we have seen in this first quarter of 2021, money's moving out of the higher price multiple stocks, the tech names, and shifting into more of what we call at our office the classic stocks, which are going to be the lower P.E., value dividend paying stocks and i think what what you know we have been seeing obviously rotation because it's very obvious if you just look at the asset class performance between large cap growth and large cap value i'm not going to put you on the spot jeff and say the, the the variation to performance but i know it's you know close to double digit if not over double digit differences of large cap values performance to large growth but it I is think- a large cap. When I look just going into Thursday, large cap growth versus value was 11%. Mid cap growth versus value was in excess of 14%. Wow. And small cap growth versus value was in excess of 15%. So again, so- it's a total reversal from 2020. It's just a complete 180. Yeah, it's happened here in the first quarter. I would say there's a lot of reallocation that's been taking place of of money managers across the country. I mean, we're we're in that same boat because we mm-hmm. started in earnest at the first week of January, starting to make that shift and building our portfolio sleeve or the other end of our barbell, which we've talked about multiple times on the Money Wise program. Yeah, and I I had a, I had before. I'm sorry, Jeb. Before I just kind of want to follow on to Kyle. He's ready to eat. He's ready to eat. <laughs> well, I had a I had a, a meeting. I had a meeting with this week with client. Number one, the church endowment that we've been managing for 31 years, and I made a, uh, I pointed out some things in the report that we always talk about the end of the year report, as well as we do an update for the year to date uh, as part of our annual meeting. And in this particular portfolio, last year we took several hundred thousand dollars in capital gains for the entire year of 2020, a little over $200,000. This year alone, and we're not even finished with the first quarter yet, we have still have three trading days left, we had taken over $300,000 in capital gains already in the first quarter. So that's 50% more in capital gains than we've taken 
in the entire year 2020. And that was because we had so many stocks with triple digit gains that we owned in, in 2020 and still own many of those today. But I think, you know, when you were headed, we've, you've talked about this before, how we changed our asset allocation scheme from a overweighting certain stocks in the portfolio to equally weighting all the stocks in our individually managed accounts. And that generated all those capital gains. And we have, we're going to need to take some more because some of these stocks have done, done well this first quarter. And we're going to do, as we do at the end of each quarter, rebalance. Uh, re- do a rebalance. Uh, I think there's a lot of other advisors that have done the exact same thing that we have done, and it's being reflected in the performance of in, the index. NASDAQ index versus the other two indexes. Which means that this could, again, go back to being more of a shorter-term trade than a longer-term trend. Yeah, that's the question. That's the question we have for all investors. That's a question we ask ourselves each day. Should we just not own the four big horsemen in our our portfolio at all? Or is is this something that's going to go on another quarter? Is it going to go into the third quarter? Is this going to last the entire year that these particular stocks and that particular index, talking about the NASDAQ, are going to underperform. It's it's too early to tell. You know, it's only the first jury's quarter. Still of the, out. the jury's still yeah, out. Still first out. quarter of the football game. So we've made many adjustments to the portfolio, but we have not made a complete wipeout. I shouldn't say wipeout's not the right word. A complete <laughs> removal overall. removal overall. of all of all large cap tech and all the other technology stocks that did so well for us in 2020. We're, yes, we're, Joe. Well, we're, I was just going to say, we're still, we're still keeping our barbell. We're still keeping yes, our barbell in place where we've got the momentum side, higher growth, higher right. PE stocks, and we have our classic slower growth, dividend-paying stocks. The but other- I, I would say that barbell is now a little more equally weighted than it may have been in the past. Yes. Joe. Yeah, yes, and we know that Kyle likes to work out a lot, so we, that's a great analogy. <laughs> oh, uh, if you ever met Kyle, you know that. But what? Getting back to Jeff's point, um, and we're talking about a little bit of a rotation, but more importantly, talking about capital gains and and taking some gains, impacting some of the indexes that we're seeing, and particularly the Nasdaq. Well, if we're talking about capital gains, and I was reading up uh, early this week on an article in CNBC talking about, quote-unquote, the Super Bowl of tax reform. And groups are gearing up for a fight over the Biden plan to raise taxes on the rich and corporations. The two key bullet points, and think about Super Bowl, we use football analogies, we just used it a second ago, is advocacy groups, advocacy groups from across all different political spectrums are getting ready for this, quote-unquote, Super Bowl, all the way from the Coke Network to Bernie Sanders and other political groups getting ready to approach and tackle this. But a lot of it is also linked to the what we were talking about last week. And my case for value, if you will, in the rotation is the infrastructure bill. So if you want to tackle that a little bit, I think that's something that we need to talk about because I think that is going to bode and actually give us some guidance on, all right, we're going to have tax reform. How much are we going to get? How much is it going to impact the market? And how much is it going to impact even maybe further selling off of capital gains in the future? 
Well, well, well to rate, yeah, to rate, you know, to, 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 to sell gains, down right. positions to take the capital gains. But the right. other question is, is, is which groups are going to be affected as far as income brackets are going to be affected. Now, every single person listening to this show, whether you make a million dollars a year or $10,000 a year, we're all paying higher taxes every single time we go to the pump. Thank you, Joe Biden and the Biden administration for what they did with the XL pipeline. So we're all paying higher gas prices, that's for sure. So that's a tax across all consumers across this country. So let's not forget that. But that is the big $64,000 question. What is this tax reform bill and the hand wringing that goes around it? You know, we know that the that the left and the Biden administration is focusing most of their attention on people that have income over $400,000 a year for these higher capital gains tax. If it does come to pass, I mean, we're not saying that it is, but, you know, there is that probability. But the other question is is going to be this is only going to be affecting the capital gains tax is only going to be affecting taxable accounts so it's not going to affect your 401k it's not going to affect your Roth it's not going to affect your traditional IRA um, as far as the capital gains tax is concerned only taxable accounts but also there are other very large pools of money in pension funds and endowments that many of those are not going to be affected by capital gains tax changes either because they're, they're not, many of those organizations are not subject to tax. The example I just talked about, account number one, the church endowment, they're not taxed. They're not taxed on any so of that, in, any, of that, C, any, that any of that C. money. Yeah. So his, the, the research that I have read about past history and changes to tax policy, capital gains taxes in particular, there's no, there's no cor- very little correlation between lower, but lower stock prices and higher capital gains tax rates. There just hasn't been. And Is I was that- just looking, I was just looking on my chart that's above my, my desk and camera as we're recording the, the Money Wise program. It was 2002 Man, the long-term capital gains tax was lowered from 20% to 15% where it sits now. Now, we know through some tax reform that's occurred in the latter part of the, of the 21st century that if you do make over 450000 modified adjusted gross income married filing jointly, that you do have that 20% long-term capital gains tax, but anyone under that income level is still at that 15% level, which it's been at since 2002. Well, and my point, which, my which point is the is, lowest, which is the lowest, by the way, really in our lifetime. The, the point is, and that I want to talk about briefly is what's the final price tag, if you will, of this infrastructure bill and the larger the price tag, who's going to pay for it? They're going to put it, you know, they're going to create, uh, you're going to tax us more at the pump. Um, is there going to be a carbon bonds? tax? There's a lot of bonds. That was what I wanted to discuss in more detail, but how are we going to pay for this? You know, and, and how, Joe, how, how, how are we going to how are we going to pay for this last COVID relief package of one point nine trillion when money from the one prior to that hadn't even all been spent yet, and and only nine percent of the uh, of this last stimulus package was really geared towards COVID, and all the other special you know never let a crisis go to waste, right, Nancy Pelosi? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Poor Nancy. Sorry. Poor Nancy. Trust me, I do not cry. I do not share I know. that woman, but I don't I, think a lot of our listeners do either. But I know we try to keep it purple. Try to keep it purple. Well, let's take another commercial break as best I can. 
Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And all emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, Jeff, there was something during the break that you wanted to come back with. Well, so in the previous segment, we ended with us uh, with a discussion of how are we going to pay for infrastructure. the infrastructure bill that is on the horizon. And we've heard, apparently we've heard uh, somewhere between two, and Joe, you said you'd heard someone say $10 trillion. Very, some progressives supposedly want a, a number upwards yeah, around somewhere, somewhere between trillion. two. Two and $10 trillion are these infrastructure plans that, that are going to be brought to Congress, so, I guess, sometime in the next quarter, next three months. And, and so we're, all right, how are we going to pay for this? Well, it seems like a foregone conclusion that we have to raise revenues in order to pay for that. And the way that we raise revenues is we get increased economic activity. That increased economic activity uh, should translate into to greater income tax and other tax collections and then also making changes to the tax code itself through all these varied myriad of reason, ways they're going to do it. And there's hundreds of them. And all the lobbyists, which is what Joe was talking about through this article, will be coming to Washington lobbying their Congress people on why they don't want them to go attack whatever their pet issue is, whether it's estate taxes, whether it's uh, tax breaks on taxes? this or tax breaks on that. But really, to me, the key is not so much the effect of higher taxes on capital gains, because we've talked about how history has shown that really hasn't been a big driver of stocks one way or the other, changes in income tax or capital gains tax rates. The real key to me is what does the change, what does the, we got to go out and raise this money, right? We have to go out and raise the money to pay for these infrastructure bills. We're not going to immediately get tax receipts from, from taxpayers to pay for all this. So how do we have to, we got to borrow the money. How do we borrow the money? The government sells bonds. The government sells government bonds to the open market and the open market buys these bonds. And we get in this classic supply versus demand situation. If the supply of bonds, well, let's put 2 trillion, let's put 5 trillion, let's put how many other trillions we got to sell in bonds out there in the open market. Well, demand, okay, demand may say, well, wait a second, <clears throat> you want 2 trillion, 5 trillion, 10 trillion, whatever the number is, I want a little more interest for my money that I'm going to be giving you, loaning you, so I want more. So we got this big supply, maybe not is big demand. And so that means we got, we got to have higher interest rates to attract folks to give up the money, to, to give up. it to the, yeah, to loan the money to the government so they could do these infrastructure projects. Well, that means higher interest rates. So that's really the key. It's not, to me, it's not capital gains tax rate changes. It's how much do interest rates 
go up and at what velocity do they go up, that is the bigger effect on stock markets. And that's one of the reasons I, I was, I was ta- when I was talking to, to our church client earlier this week, that is the thing that, that keeps us all up at night is the velocity of increasing, ta- uh, increasing interest rates. That has been the thing that has worried us since we got into this mess in, of low interest rate environment back in 08, 09. We've been worried about this for the last, 13 years and it just got worse and it got worse last year we took the 10-year treasury down to three tenths of of one percent yes Kyle well I was going to say the one little caveat to that is you know U.S. treasuries bonds bills and notes were considered a riskless investment around the world so we're this bastion of safety for investors globally but you also look at the interest rates globally particularly in the eurozone or over in Japan we're still paying a positive interest rate, even if it is maybe 1.67%, maybe a 1.75 or a 2% or a two, two and a quarter percent tenure treasury would get enough demand to come and pick up and buy this supply that we have to, that the government well, has that, to produce to help fund this infrastructure. Okay. Maybe. I mean, yes, maybe. I, I think, I think there, there will be demand, but again, the, 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 key is the velocity of increases in interest rates. And we've, we've seen this quarter at times when the 10-year treasury rate was moving up at a faster clip than maybe normally it had. It had implications in the stock market. We saw that especially with the, uh, with the NASDAQ trade. Interest rates went up. The NASDAQ stocks queues as the ETF went down. Now, that seems to have subsided a little bit because interest rates did not go – didn't really change that much this week. It was slightly down. If we start to see interest rates creep up again, will that will that return? So that's the thing that we've got to be very careful of in terms of man- managers of money, allocators of assets between stocks, bonds, and cash. That's why we're not. It's we're we're still not back to all time high allocations to stocks in all of our portfolios across the board. We still have not got back to where we were in February of 2020 in terms of maximum allocations to stocks. And I don't see that, to me, I don't see that until after the infrastructure bill is done, till after we hear about what these tax reforms are going to be and see how the market digests all of this. And then we haven't said one word today about COVID and the path of COVID and how the economy's you know, recovery how that's correlated with all these other things. Yes, Kyle. I was going to say, go ahead, Joe. Sure. So last week, Kyle and I were talking about this and some of the challenges that we have as portfolio managers and a team is assessing and looking at all these bullet points that Jeff just talked about pandemic. All right. Now we have a recovery. We have interest rates maybe ticking up. Now they've normalized a little bit. The decoupling of interest rates to the NASDAQ an infrastructure bill, taxes going up. There's a lot of things you have to consider. And I agree with Jeff a hundred percent. We got to wait till all these things are done and look at the, maybe the second half of the year. And that'll give us a much better barometer on where our allocations should be at that time. Sometimes not doing anything in your portfolio is actually doing something. And, and, and it's a smart thing sometimes to stay the status quo as an investor. Doing, well, doing nothing is doing nothing is a, is a decision. decision. And, and yep. that's something our dad taught Jeff and I very early in our careers is that a no decision is an actual decision. And that goes for all of our listeners. 
not making a decision to sell a position in your portfolio or not buy a position in your portfolio, you know, that is an actual decision. But one thing I was going to say about COVID, and this was said just right before we went to, to record the show Friday after the market, is they asked the question about Texas, because obviously here in the state, we've you know, we don't have the mask mandate anymore, although you wouldn't know it every time you go into a place, you have to wear a mask. I've been able to go into a couple of places that don't require face masks, thank goodness. I've been to two but, that you didn't. It was great. Yeah, I've been, I've been to two. It's, it's, it's awesome. My gym being one okay. and, and, and then a, and a local, uh, you know, gun dealer here, here in the San Antonio area. <laughs> oh, no. that, that, that's amazing, by no, the no, way. No, no plugs. Right. Okay. No, no plugs. No plugs. But what I was going to say is that they actually – asked the question of Dr. God, uh, God, Gobley or whatever his name Gottlieb. is. Gottlieb. Gottlieb, that's mm-hmm. always being interviewed on CNBC. And they asked, how are cases looking in Texas now that they've been, you know, their economy's been open and now they don't have the mask mandate. And finally, he said, believe it or not, things are looking really good and cases have not spiked in Texas. In fact, they're going down. And I was finally like, I felt like, you know, you hear the hallelujah I mean, I could hear that in the back of my head and, and people cheering when he said that. So there's more positive news that's coming out. And I know uh, Sleepy Joe in his completely scripted and ridiculous press conference was talking about keep it 200, purple, 200 million well, shots in arms by the end of his hundred. I mean, day. everybody can agree. It's like watching an eight, my eighth grader. All right. Read the script for a play. Okay. Eight was it more like a fifth I mean, my, my eight-year-old. I'm sorry, my eight-year-old. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> Let me go back. My, I have an eighth grader. No, my eight-year-old reading a script from a play. It was off a cue card. It, it was, yeah. It, was, action. it was bad. It, it was mean, bad. But, but the thing is, back to Jeff's point, is that, you know, when we saw GDP, you know, we saw fourth quarter GDP, its final revision up 4.3%. So it was, it ticked up two-tenths of a percent. And that was announced this past week, so that's a good thing. We saw unemployment. Um, first time it was, it was. I think it was first time unemployment claims on Thursday were the best they had been. 000. Was the best they had been since since uh, the COVID began, going yes. back to February yes. of 2020. Under and we're going to seven hundred thousand. So and we're, we're going to get green yeah, and we're going to get another unemployment number. Uh, next week on Friday, April the April this. Well, I guess we're going to get it on Good Friday, which is unusual because the market is closed. But are according to my, to, are we going to uh, get it? Or well, gonna, according to my economics, uh, the calendar service, is, is service I get it from it's coming out. So I guess we'll see if okay. that's true. We had some other interesting economic news for the week. I know we got just a little bit of time left. Durable goods were were down. They're saying that it had to do with a lot with uh, the weather. Uh, home sales were down. Uh, both new home sales and existing home sales. Again, they're saying that was weather related. And, I and think a pers- supply issue. And a supply yeah, and a supply issue. issue. Too. So major supply if, issue. If you take all of that on the surface, it was looked like all negative economic news. But I think there were some underlying reasons uh, for that, mostly weather related. And next well, week we're, we've got pending home sales, construction spending, and that unemployment rate on Friday coming out. Yeah. And, and, and again, I think it's an issue with the supply chain. They can't just, we cannot, like right now, we can't build enough houses fast enough. And so that's the reason why the housing numbers were down because there was nothing to sell. You know, particularly if you live in the Austin area, you know that as a fact. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office, toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program for our listeners on 1360 KKTX and Corpus. And our last segment for our listeners on 1200 WAI in San Antonio. Um, so what are we, what do we got for this last segment that we wanted to cover? Jeff was talking we, about a, a client during the break or a new prospective client and doing a review and knowing well, what you own. Yes. Cause we talk about that uh, all the time on the money wise program that yeah. you have to know what you own. You can't be complacent or fall asleep on your portfolio. You always have to keep a very sharp eye on it. So what did you run into Jeff? So meeting with a, uh, client that was getting ready for retirement we encourage everyone that's uh getting near retirement or thinking about retiring that uh we sit down and talk about a budget and talk about your uh, retirement assets and how much you think you're going to need in terms of income off those retirement assets and this gentleman was about three four months away from actually retiring and when we were sitting down talking about his portfolio, he was commenting about how his 401k value had been fluctuating a substantial amount each day. And uh, I inquired as to uh, whether he was aware of what his, al- his current asset allocation was. And he said he wasn't sure. And so I uh, accessed his, we looked at his 401k records together and he was 97% invested in stocks. Now, invested in stocks is really only appropriate for someone really, you know, under the age of 10. (laughs) I mean, no, no, not under the age of 10, but but definitely under the age of 40. Well, no, no, no. I wouldn't have anybody uh, under the age of between 30 and 40 years old at 97% invested in stocks. That is not something that I would do. So, the, the surprise was he wasn't really aware that he was that invested in stocks. And I said, well, we're going to need to do something in the interim until we do, until we get the uh, distribution done to maybe lower your exposure to stocks because uh, it, at that stage of life and in heading, you know, heading into retirement, it wasn't an appropriate level of risk um, in that portfolio. And so the, the moral of the story is, is, is that, you know, if you've got a, a substantial portfolio that is moving at substantial amounts each day, and we've had a, a volatility has certainly been higher here of late in uh, in the markets, you know, especially here this first quarter of 2021, uh, you might want to take a look at your asset allocation and make sure that uh, it is appropriately allocated for your stage of life. Something else I want to bring up, talking about 401k pending retirement, and as you said rightly, Jeff, you know, typically six to eight months out, that's when you want to start getting your ducks in a row. Or sometimes we've met with prospective clients, you know, 12 to 18 months ahead of time, and provide what we call our financial roadmap, where again we look at expenses, we look at nest eggs, and we run some projections with Social Security, without Social Security, monetary inflation, assumed rates of return, what have you. 
But I think something that we don't talk about enough on this program and that a lot of 401k participants aren't aware of because this isn't particularly advertised by the 401k provider, the company that provides the 401k, is that once you hit 59 and a half, you can take what's called an in-service distribution and roll that over into a traditional IRA so it can be professionally managed. So if you are 59 and a half or older, but you're planning on maybe working to 65 or 67, or maybe you want to work to 70. We've had some, some clients that worked well into their 70s before they decided to retire, but at 59 and a half, you can take that in-service distribution and roll that over tax-free into a traditional IRA and get that professionally managed. Because when you're talking about a substantial nest egg and you are getting close to needing to start living off those assets, you need that professional management and oversight so you don't run into the situation like Jeff ran into this last week where an individual is 97% allocated to stocks. When, they, when it's a completely inappropriate allocation based on that particular investor's risk capacity because risk capacity is gauged based on your age and how soon you need to start using that money in retirement. So don't forget the in-service distribution because your 401k provider is not going to be advertising it. They're not going to be talking about it, but it is built into the 401k code to be able to do that in-service distribution of 59 and a half. Yeah, Joe. Well, Kyle, you brought up an interesting point about 401ks. And one of the things, if you are participating in a 401k, and I was doing a couple of reviews this week, and guess where their money was invested? I was talking to a gentleman, and he was uh, 60 years old, and he was in a target date fund. And it could, you could be 60 to 65. One thing you need to understand is target date funds get more conservative the closer you get to retirement. And a lot of them get overly conservative when you hit 65 or 66 or 67. So conversely to, to Jeff's situation, where they're over, where they're uh, overweighted, way in overweighted stocks. in stocks, you want to make sure at that age you're not underweighted, too underweighted in stocks, because you have to remember that income is going to have to probably last you 20 years. So don't quit thinking I have one or two years till I retire. I got to get all conservative with this money. You need to invest it for the long run and understand you still need that proper mix of stocks and bonds. And we usually say 60% roughly to 40% bonds, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. That's one thing you need to make sure you pay attention to in your 401k. But not all target date funds are created equal. Yes. And, and, and I just want to make that point because not all of them necessarily do the things that you're saying, Joe. So most of them do, but they do them to, to differing degrees. And so you, as Kyle says, you got to dig deeper. There is one thing that I wanted to say about the in-service distribution. I know we only have a little bit of time left here. There is an exception that I have run into in, for the in-service distributions, and that is for folks that are involved in a retirement plan where they're working for a nonprofit organization, school teachers, hospitals, churches, 403Bs don't have the same in-service distribution rules as 401Ks. Uh, I, I, most of the ones I've run into, I've run into don't allow an in-service distribution, even when the employee reached the age of 59 and a half. So if you're unsure, ask your administrator, you know, ask the folks that are managing the 403B what the particular uh, circumstances are, if you can even take an in-service distribution in those plans. And you can also find that information in your summary plan description. 
So that's another place where you can find that information if you're just not getting the right answer from your plan administrator. With that, we're coming up to the top of the hour. So for Money Wise listeners in San Antonio on 1200 WAI, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. If you'd like to catch a second hour or past Money Wise programs, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com and click the radio show link to find that menu of past shows and the second hour. For listeners on 1360 KKTX and Corpus Christi, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And if you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website again at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage of our website, again, at davidsoncap.com. As we're in the second hour of the weekend's Money Wise program, we always like to use the second hour for investor education. And there was an article, Dad, that you came across, and it's a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, uh, really how savers are being penalized because of the historically low interest rate environment that we've found ourselves in over the last several years, the zero interest rate policy from the Federal Reserve. More than six now. Well, yeah, really going back to the Great Recession, which ended, and just to repeat to all of our listeners, the recession ended March of 2009, or excuse me, June of 2009. That March was the, March 2009 was the proverbial generational low of the stock market, but the recession ended in June of 2009, although... I think there was a poll that was done by Fox News not too in long May. ago in May that stated that, what was it, 60 or 70 percent of the... I think it was more than 60 percent of the respondents believe we're still in a recession. And we're not. We're not in a recession, just but to reiterate that. they personally may feel, feel as if they are, and that's, that's part right. of what drives articles like this. Well, this article was written by Scott Burns, um, who is a former columnist for the Dallas Morning Morning News. He is retired, but the title of the article is Low Rates Take High Toll on Retirement. I want to read some excerpts out of this article because, again, this I think is going to spark, I wouldn't say a debate, but it's definitely going to spark a conversation that, you know, there were some good things in this article, but there are some things in this article. If I was talking to Scott Burns now, I would 
I would be asking him a little bit deeper questions and for him to go into a little bit greater explanation of some of the things that he said in this article. But from the article, no one knew, no one knew it at the time, but the 80s were the golden age of retirement. Pensions were were generous back then. Whether you invested in stocks or bonds, the proverbial win was at your back. Both provided handsome annual returns. Many retirees found themselves with more money, a higher standard of living than they had enjoyed while working. Who knew? No one had a clue about how good things were. Retirement will be more difficult the next 30 years than in the last 30 years. The returns on stocks and bonds are expected to be lower in the future than they have been in the past. Many provided a yield of 4%. And the long-term average yield has been about 3%. Today's stock yields are lower than 2%. The same thing happened to bonds. While you could typically rely on U.S. Treasuries to yield about 5% in the past, the current yield on the 10-year Treasury is a bit over 2%. Those two factors suggest that a typical balanced portfolio of 60% stock, 40% bond, which could be expected to provide an 8% annualized return in in the long term in the long term past might now expect be expected to return 6% meaning that a 30 year portfolio survival rate has moved from 94% to 77% because of the low interest rate environment that we're in and the expected future rates of return of the market but here's you know here's some things that I'd want to I'd want to say well, let me say something okay, first. Okay, sure. Let me, Go ahead. Let me get my thought in here. Okay. First of all, the 80s was not the golden years to retire. You retire when you retire. Now, the vast majority of people that retired in 1980, you're probably no longer alive today. Would that be fair to say? Yes. And I, I'm sure if we went back and talked to these people, they would not feel that they retired in the golden age of retirement, considering the fact what the stock market has done since the 80s and what inflation rates are today versus what they were then. Then the inflation wolf was firmly at the door. We had suffered tremendously under the Carter administration in the 70s, the area of oil shock of the 70s, the fact that energy costs were doubling and tripling, utility costs were just sky high. In 1987, if you were a retiree, you would have suffered a decline in one day of more than 20% percent in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I don't think anyone would have said October was the golden age to be retired. October of 1987 would have been the golden (laughs) age. So Scott Burns was writing for the Dallas Morning News in that time, and I just happened to be managing portfolios in Dallas at the same time, and I was dealing with the individuals who were retired, and I was talking to these people. And I can say with certainty that their feelings towards the future was no different than it is the people we talk to today. They did not believe they had enough money to live comfortably, and they were concerned about outliving their money. The rising cost of health care was very much present in their lives, and the we are so much farther along in our health fitness today as we opposed to then. We did not have all the treatments for hearts and cancer that we have today. So it was not the golden age of retirement. Retirement is retirement. You are only going to retire once. You can't go back and say, hey, I wish I'd have retired. 
just to show you how silly that statement really is, I know that uh, when I worked for Central Power and Light in the early 70s, they told me that my retirement, when if I stayed until I was 65, they projected that I would be getting $22,000 a year, almost as much as a vice president was making at that time. And wasn't that going to be a wonderful retirement? Well, no, I get more than that today in Social Security. I couldn't live on $22,000 a year. That was not the golden age of retirement. And, and, and that's and that's the one thing that I would, I would kind of take Scott Burns to task about in this article is that everything is relative in its specific time. Yes. Everything that's is relative. Exactly. When when you were at CPNL way back in the early seventies, making twenty two thousand a year, you're thinking, "Wow, back no, then." No, no, I was just trying to make ten. No, 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 no. I'm saying, as far as retirement, yes. you're thinking to yourself, "Wow, wow." I mean, I'd be on Easy Street. Wow, exactly. And, and so, again, going back to this golden age of retirement of retirement thirty years ago. You know, you have to look at a lot of different factors 30 years ago. Sure, 10-year treasuries were paying 12, 13, you know, percent, 14 percent. But where was monetary inflation? And we're going to have to pause right there to hold that thought and come back because I want to dig a little bit deeper into this article and, again, talk about how retirement is relevant and the point of time when you're actually retiring and looking in the rearview mirror is not a good thing. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing this article from Scott Burns, low returns take high toll on retirement. And as we were going into the break, I was just making a point that retirement and what's going on in the market, the economy, inflation is relative at that point in time in which you're retiring. And to look back in time, to look back 30 years like Scott Burns was was looking and saying in this article, how it was so much better to retire 30 years ago. And I'm thinking, wait a second. Monetary inflation was almost double digits. Sure, you're getting 14% in a 10-year treasury, but wasn't in some instances inflation higher than a lot of treasury bonds? So you were actually getting a net negative return. Remember the net of inflation, eighteen percent car loan. Yeah, exactly. I had on Eighty-two citation. Exactly. Well, you know, double-digit mortgage rates. So again, even though he talks in this article how stocks had higher dividend yields and the bond market was paying higher interest rates and higher interest levels, where was monetary inflation? You know what? What was the actual net return was, after you take this out? Negative. It was negative. So if you look today, and, and we know that everyone's inflationary rate is different. It's the same. Tr- it's the. It's a true statement today, as it was 30 years ago, as it was 50 years ago. Everyone's inflationary rate's different. The government puts out their statistic, but if you've got kids in college, you know what your inflation rate is. You're a high consumer of health care, you know what your inflation rate is. So 
the government statistics are a lot of times meaningless to the individual in retirement, but I would say back then inflation was a lot worse well, than it is today. And and even though we have let's say a two point three percent ten year treasury, based on the governmental statistic of two percent inflation, you're actually net positive net of inflation. Which wasn't the true any time in the eight that's right the late seventies or eighties. Now one other point I totally forgot is that there was no 401k plans in the 60s and 70s. That's right. So if you change jobs, which most young people do, if you left Westinghouse and went to work for CPNL, you left CPNL and went to work on Wall Street, every time you changed, whatever your defined benefit plan defined was, one, benefit, yeah. you got nothing, nothing transferred. It wasn't until the 401k was created in the 80s where I was able to start putting money in and getting matching funds from my employer, which eventually led to the 401k that I was able to use to start the company. So if we go back today, as as young people jump jobs and change jobs, if they will carry their 401k with them, not borrow against it, and continue to keep their funds, their retirement would be substantially better. Very big point. And, and, and because the only way you had a really good retirement in the 60s is if you spent 35 years with the same company. You had which, to stay. Which you could do. Yeah. Now, now, today what you will find, at least this is what I find, People my age, the people who have worked for the federal government or work for the school systems right now tend to have the better retirements because they didn't have Social Security. Their money went into this Texas teacher's retirement. So they actually have pretty good retirements versus their peers and were able to retire earlier because of that. And so... But but you know what they get though, Dad? Now with TRS, they can do external saving through payroll deductions into four hundred three bs on top of their TRS. Yes. So so their I retirement. Do, I hope they're doing that. Well, one of our newest clients did that and has set themselves up for a very comfortable retirement because they paid themselves first, but they went above and beyond what the state was providing them. And they've they've amassed a very nice nest egg because of that. So the, the for teachers and municipal, their retirement plans are even more lucrative because they can do stuff outside the so, traditional pension. So the pension. funny thing today, what I would say to Scott There's Burns, more flexibility. I would say today would be more the golden age of retiring than would have been in the seventies, sixties, and eighties, unless you had stayed with one company your entire career. Then you might have had a very comfortable retirement. But even then, the odds of you staying with the same company 35 years, I don't know what the stats were. They would be more then than today. But it still wasn't that great. And the other thing that you would find in the 80s is the blue-collar worker would not have the retirement of the white-collar worker. Today, that is different. We see time and time again, if if a worker has saved, whoever he works for, through the 401k plan, he can build a substantial nest egg, he or she, and can retire comfortably as an executive could have back in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. So everyone has the opportunity today. This gets back to why we would say to the Obama administration, as we said to the Bush administration, if we could do away with Social Security and go to a national pension where people could put money in to a pension plan, 
the whole country would be better off in retirement, and articles like this would not have to be written. But here's the thing. I think he's only calling it the golden age, Dad, because of the rates of return of these particular asset classes. But again, when when you look at it at its point in time when these returns were made, it wasn't really any different than what no, it is today. It. <laughs> and, just... in fact, and in fact, we just said that if you're looking at fixed income and a 2% inflationary rate and you can get 2.3% in a 10-year treasury, you're actually net three-tenths of 1% what? positive above inflation. Where back in the 80s, you weren't. So he's only calling it the golden age because yields were higher in the stock market. Well, where was monetary inflation? Yields were higher in fixed income market. Where was monetary inflation? So that doesn't make sense to me, Scott. And, and the other t- the other point of this is where he's talking about the survival rate of a portfolio went from ninety four percent to seventy seven percent based on what withdrawal rate. What are we talking about here? It, you said it before we were commercial break. You don't pull any money out of it. It has a 100% survival rate. It has you a just survival rate. Right? You may not like the returns, but it's not going to go to zero. It's not going to go to zero, but, but it, it's all relative to what your withdrawal rate is. That's why it's such a key as you're working towards retirement, as you're getting a couple of years out, to start what I call do financial road mapping, where and this is something that we provide to to our clients here at Davidson Capital Management as part of our services is you know getting an an idea of what your expenses are going to be and and really the expenses need to be relative close, if not identical, or maybe even a little more than what you're currently spending today. Because I say to every client or prospective client, the one thing you have more of in retirement is time. And you have more time to travel, more time to do things and to get out and actually spend. So when I hear financial planners or read articles saying you need 70 to 80% of your current income, current annual income to survive in retirement, hogwash. No way. You need 100%, if not a little bit more, because you have more time. Unless you're going to be extremely frugal. And, and, and again, I think if if you're used to eating steak two times a week, you're not going to go to eating PB&J two times a week or rice and beans. You're going to want to continue to maintain that lifestyle. Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, you PB&J. Had, sorry. Yeah, you had me going there. I heard you caught on the PB&J. I'm trying to figure out what, what yeah, You're not going to go eating peanut butter and jelly just so you can retire. So if you're not sitting down and figuring out what your monthly budget is and you don't take a look at the value of your nest egg and determine and figure out what kind of annual withdrawal rate am I going to have to draw off this nest egg in order to cover my living expenses. And if they're not matching up, I mean, if you're having to pull 8, 9, 10, 11%, it's not going to survive. No, it's I not going to assu- survive. I, I can assure there you of that. There is no money manager that's, that's going to be, be able, able to do that. Be able to do that. And not do it prudently. I mean, if they're going to go, you go with 100% stocks, uh, you want not- not always. You can't do that. Not even a hundred percent stock. And, and, and no, again, I'm saying, yeah, to get that kind of return, you're going to have to be hundred percent stock. And, and again, that's extremely, extremely dangerous. If now you've taken yourself out of the workforce, and so if you find yourself doing this exercise and realizing that you're having to pull out high percentages in order to cover your expenses, one, you've not saved enough. Two, you haven't gotten your expenses low enough. And the one thing is we preach here at Davidson Capital is that the only thing you can control, the only thing you can control in retirement is discretionary spending. You can't control your health. You can't control taxes. You can't control the rate of return in your portfolio. You can only control your discretionary spending. And if your discretionary spending is out of whack, 
You have to get it back in line in order to maintain your nest egg. So this, going back to this article, a 30-year portfolio survival rate, because of the averaged annualized rates of return today than where they were 30 years ago, reduces the survival rate from 94% to 77%. Based on what, Scott? You're being a little vague here. Let, let's get let, let's get into the nitty gritty and figure out what the withdrawal rate is. Don't just say that rates of return were better in the 80s. Well, yeah, he's, he's, not he's, real rates of return. But he's looking at everything as a, in a vacuum, as opposed to being more in relatively speaking, you know, in today's time. It's not. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. And the one thing that he also forgets: population growth was a lot smaller back then. We're continuing to grow. You know, where interest rates are going to be a year from now, let alone 10 years from now, I can't tell you. I have a feeling they're going to be higher, but I can't promise you that. I would think well, Janet Yellen, as an educated man, they're going to be higher. I think you can say with certainty Janet Yellen will not be chairman of the Federal Reserve in 10 years. That's right. Well, we got to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So kind of getting back to this, low returns takes high toll on retirement article from Scott Burns. And as I was saying before we went to the bottom of the hour break, again, he's just kind of looking at things in a vacuum and not realizing that Inflation was different back in the 80s. Yes, rates of return were higher. Valuations on company stocks were lower relative to today. Population was smaller. Um, I mean, again, it's retirement is relative based on the point in time you're currently in. You're only going to retire the one time. That's, that's it. right. And you can't say Pick that because... Because dividend yields and interest rates, market returns yeah, the dividends and interest rates were higher back in the 80s, made it a better time, and because of defined benefit plans. But, Dad, you just completely crushed, yeah, I mean, crushed that point in this article yes. because you didn't get to take your defined benefit plan with you. So you either put your cement shoes on at the employer of choice that you were at and spend your career and, there, or you lose your retirements, and, where today... You can move from job to job and continue to climb the corporate ladder while taking your retirement assets with you via the 401k. So the 401k has given employees a lot better upward mobility. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and, and flexibility to go from either one career path to the other or make changes and not be stuck in a dead-end job that they were miserable driving to every single day. Because they're like, well, I've been here 15 years. Well, I don't want to lose my quarter-million dollars pension I have. I don't want to tell you how many people I talked to, and I'm not singling out CPNL, but I'm just saying there were people there that were counting the days 
you know, had seven more years to go. I mean, it was almost like a prison sentence. They, they put X's yeah, on, the, I, on, on their did. cubicle wall. They did, Kyle. I, I make. I, I mean, literally, they were in. You know, they knew that they had six or seven more years to go. They were counting the days. They were miserable. It was name, rank, and serial number. They were entrenched in their position. They didn't want to change anything because they. I mean, what could they do? Just think coming up to where you would be funded, where if you lost this or how much it would affect your retirement. I mean, uh, one of the things that working at a public utility was the fact that you had this job security, and for that you gave up a lot of flexibility. But it wasn't just about that one company. It was all the companies back then. Yes, I'm just singling out what I observed observed. And I'm sure that was observed by many other people and many other professions and many other corporations at that point in time. And so with the invention and the advent of the 401k, it's it's great and it's given everyone in this country a lot more flexibility and mobility when it comes to their career Absolutely. and choosing that career yes. path. So again, that's Scott, not the golden age. That was not that be, the golden age. Would that be the golden age? No. And and yes, we're in a lower return environment. When you're running, when I run hypotheticals doing the financial road mapping, yes, I'll run it on a 5% return, 6% return, 7% annualized return. I will run it on those numbers. And I will run it based on different withdrawal rates for that particular client just to see how long this money will last. But again, even those models are just, it's just math. That is not going to predict the future because no one knows what the future holds for this market. That's why we always preach on this radio show. And again, one reason why we hate annuities with such a passion is that you have to maintain flexibility in retirement. You have to stay mobile, nimble, flexible to be able to make adjustments and changes because the one guarantee on Wall Street, the one guarantee, is change. It's going to fluctuate. It's going to change, and it changes every single second. And so you have to have a portfolio that's actively managed, actively managed, not set it and forget it, and a portfolio that has liquidity and flexibility to make those changes. Because even, you know, take your portfolio, let's set your portfolio aside. Just talk about life. Life can change in the blink of an eye for yourself. And so you have a health crisis. You have a family issue. You need to get a hold of money. That's why maintaining flexibility, being malleable, is so incredibly important and over time, as far as valuations are concerned, yes, the regress back. You know, he talks about regressing back to its mean when he talks about stock valuations. Let's talk about regressing back to the mean return of the markets themselves, yeah. because we have yet to regress back to the mean or the average rate of return of the S and P five hundred for a hundred year time span since the financial crisis. We have yet to regress back to that average return. Still today, we're still around 6, 6.5%. When prior to the financial crisis, we were more along the lines of 10 to 11% historically. So he was talking about regressing back to valuations. Well, guess what? In a bull market, stocks are going to be a little overvalued, are they not, Dad? That's what a bull market means. That's what a bull market means. And again, when you look at the 10-year Treasury rate, Yes, it's paying more than monetary inflation. If your monetary inflation, personal inflation rate, is the governmental statistic, which I know it's not, but 
compared to where it was in the 80s, there was no comparison because you lost to monetary inflation in the 80s. So golden age, Scott? No way. No way. Because there, the, key no way. Now, the key now is a young person who has the 401k plan changes jobs a number of times, can keep the 401k. Has control over has the investments. control over the investments. Has matching coming from the employer. Think how much money I would have got from Westinghouse, from CPNL, from Basin Company. If from you the, could take it. If I could have taken it with me. Mm-hmm. The funny thing was, because of the settlement, when they closed out one of the banks I worked for in the 80s, they were forced to give me an annuity. Now, it's a pittance that comes in every month, but it you know that's the only company of all the companies I work for that I get anything. Because all those years, all you those worked, years I worked, we're lost. We're lost. We're lost. And and you know, again, you know, there was a point I was going to make, and it just escaped me. I'm having a senior moment now. <laughs> I'm having a senior moment now. We're well, approaching forty. Well, yeah, that's right. It's 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 not. It's only a handful of months yeah, away. It's, not, it's around the corner. The, the mind is a terrible thing. Yes, you're, you'll be over the hill. I'll be over the hill. But you know, again, when it when it comes down. To your retirement, maintain flexibility. Don't get sucked into sales pitches for guarantees or this false well, sense of security because some salesman says that this is a great thing to well, do. I mean, the popularity of target date funds, which go we, we've dealt with I know what I was six or say. seven years. Now, this year, all of a sudden, we've got this move on, well, let's get our expenses down. All we got to do to really maintain good returns and get our expenses down, do nothing but indices, uh, you know, let's, let's just turn this money over to this computer, and they're going to run my money in this computer really inexpensively. You've thought of it. Uh, it. It hit me. Here's something else that's vastly different today than in the 80s. Access to information. Access to research. Yes. Any individual investor can do this on their own. They can. And I know we're a registered investment advisor. We're a professional money manager. And I'm telling you, you can do this on your own. You do have the tools available to manage your assets on your own. You can go completely alone. You don't need anybody. You've got discount brokers out there that can be there to to be a sounding board for you. And you've got research tools out the wazoo. But because of the speed of the markets, the volatility of the markets, how complex the markets are in this day and age, a lot of investors choose not to. And that's what we would recommend because you really have to be sitting on that wall 24-7, 365 days a year and actively manage it and have the skill and ability and have the experience of being in the trenches to know cause and effect of different events, either in the economy, geopolitics, or markets to have to be successful long term and as we say if you can manage your portfolio part time and beat a professional manager you know we'd like to hire you yeah well or you, you need to go do, out on your own or you need to go out on your own if you can do it part time and be successful because of the speed of movement but back in the 80s uh, you had the wall street journal no way you didn't have research tools you didn't have access to these charts and the technical data that you can have access to today and if you wanted access to that technical data how much would that cost i mean lots a lot of money. of money lots of money nowadays you can go to bigcharts.com you can go to morningstar i mean there is a well, treasure trove of websites that you can go to to do your own research and your own monte carlo analysis your own backdated and testing of portfolios you could 
free. All these annual meetings that they have. I mean, you can listen in and hear the main Conference calls. Conference calls. We had conference calls because we were running money. You couldn't, as an individual, be involved in that conference call. Yeah. Now everything is an open book. I mean, if IBM scratched, we knew about it <laughs> because 10 analysts would call because of the kind of money we were generating kind of commissions we were generating yeah so did we have inside information no but we had information first we were one of the original calls mm-hmm. they called you guys first we with got information. because because we generated commissions for them yeah well and that's when yeah. you were managing pension assets yes. so and yeah. trust assets so again with today's technology there's just so much more information and so much more education that's available to individual investors but as we say, if you're that investor that doesn't want to make those decisions, doesn't have time to manage their assets in this volatile market environment that's going to continue to be like this for the rest of your life, that's when you need to seek the professional asset management skills of an RIA or Davidson Capital Management to be able to actively manage those assets to make sure your portfolio lasts a lifetime. Well, let's t- take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program or even a show idea, something you'd like to learn concerning Wall Street that we can help cover, send those emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So wrapping up this article, and I, I don't want our listeners to think that we were just bashing on Scott Burns. That wasn't the point. It's just his article, I think, sparked a debate because, yes, the statistical return numbers he was giving in the article were accurate. But he's assuming that everything is done in a vacuum and not looking at the world at that particular time when these retirees were saying adios to, to working 9 to 5. And and not taking into account where inflation was. And, and, and again, to say that the 80s was the golden age or 30 years ago was the golden age, we disagree with. And I think that what really should have been taken away from the article is it should be preparing investors for lower rates of return over the medium term. Because I can't tell you what earnings growth is going to be two, three, four, five years from now or where interest rates are going to be two, three, four, five years from now. I think interest rates are going to be higher. Uh, I can't tell you where monetary inflation is going to be. I can tell you that average monetary inflation going back to the late 50s, average is around 4%. Is around 4%, and right now we're right at two, one between 1.8 and 2% according to the government. And again, I don't trust them with those numbers as far as I could throw them, but everyone, again, everyone's inflationary rate is different. But here's one thing that has changed over the last 30 years. More corporations have come into existence. Technology, both be it computer, hardware, software, biotechnology, new companies, new ideas, innovations that were not even thought of 30 years ago have been developed and are continuing to expand and increasing the pace 
of future developments because of technology, we've seen explosive population growth. We have seen economies that were fledgling to becoming more developed economies. And we've gone from being on an island maybe by ourselves back in the 80s. I mean, Dad, I was a little boy. You'd have to tell me if the U.S. I mean, we're always going to be the number one superpower. But from an economic standpoint, was it kind of the U.S. and everybody else? Well, I mean, that's the way I looked at it. I mean, we, we seems to, you know, we still always seem to be the head of the dog, so to speak. And so now we're seeing economies around the world developing and getting stronger and getting bigger and it becoming a world economy. Well, in the 80s, you know, Japan was thought to be a threat to the United States, just like China is thought to be an economic threat today. We're talking economic threats. I said economic threat. Okay, just want to make sure. And so, as I said, I look at China differently. Because of your age. Because uh, of your age. Because of my age in the Korean War, the fact that was the first thing I can remember. So they were the enemy. So nothing has changed. You know, I, I don't trust them, never will trust them. You know, there were people from World War II that had the same problem with the Japanese. Rightfully so. Think about it. I know. So, so you can understand in the eighties, these people weren't feeling very comfortable about Japan. So, these things, the market is always the same. It is greed and fear, but it's always different. It's always growing. There's more flexibility. There are vast more choices today of where to invest than there was back in the 80s. Not including products. Different products and way investments are packaged. The only thing that's the same today as it was in the 80s is Wall Street has not changed. I would say they are the same group of people they were in the 70s when I went in and became a broker. They have never changed. Their job is to sell product. Their job is to make money for the firms they work for. They hope their clients make money. That has never changed. They are always going to give the client what the client will buy, not necessarily what the client should be buying or what they need or what they need, but they will provide, you know, this explosion of of annuities came out of fear. That's right. We will live to see why annuities are just another product, not a product that should be used to the extent that it's been used over the last 20 years. And being sold at the pace that it's yes. being sold. So all things will change. I you know, I do think that we will see an interest again in investing in commodities. With commodity prices down as low as they are, you know, to me, if you looked out three or four or five years, investing in real things... As far as commodities, to me, would look like a good thing. But I think if you run the exercise that we talked about earlier this hour about figuring out what your monthly expenses are, looking at your nest egg, and if you're having to withdraw more than 7% out of your nest egg per year, you need to go back and adjust your budget, your lifestyle, or you're going to have to work longer and save more before you ride off into the sunset because, again, because of the lower interest rate environment, the lower returns we've been seeing in the stock market, we don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now. No one does. And even though we're in this bull market, there's going to be many bull markets to come. And as we've always said on this program, retirement is just the 50-yard line. It's not the end zone. And so you have to maintain that flexibility. 
you have to maintain active management, active oversight of the portfolio, as we have always preached going on almost 10 years on the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. You, you have to be in a balanced portfolio. And balanced means different things at different parts in the market, at different times in the market cycle. Right now, 60-40. Could be 50-50, could be 70-30 stocks to bonds. And the reason it's 60-40 or 60-35 or whatever has to do with the fact that we've had this run in the stock market, and as the stock market gets higher, obviously we're due a correction. It's been a a few years since we've had a 10% correction. So when you see things like that, you have to have the flexibility to adjust. The balanced portfolio today is totally different than what the balanced portfolio would have been in 1989 when when I started the firm. The returns are totally different. The environment is totally different. But it's and, the, and that'll be the same in the future too, Dad. But it's the flexibility that comes from that philosophy. That's right, and and. And again, you need to run these exercises. I cannot stress them enough. You have to sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and really work these numbers out to see if you're close to being able to retire. And if not, you need to be paying yourself more first and get your expenses down. And if there's anything we can do to help you here at Davidson Capital Management, you can give us a call at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. From my father, John, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.